Thank you all for, for leading our music today. We appreciate you. Thank you all for being here. We are in part two of a message series or a sermon series, whatever you want to call it. And information about this message series is on the back of your bulletin. We're calling this Discover Hope. And this is basically what we do here at Hope Community Church. We take a topic and we talk about it for a series of weeks until you're tired of hearing about it, until I'm tired of talking about it, whichever comes first. And so we're calling this series Discover Hope. And basically the goal of this series is we're taking a look at the essential message of Christianity. Yes, there's lots of teachings of Jesus. Yes, there's lots of teachings in the Bible, but we're taking a look at the core thing, and it's this message of salvation in Jesus Christ, that we human beings are incapable of earning salvation for ourselves or earning our own way to heaven ourselves, but we can find salvation in what Jesus has done for us, that Jesus has died on the cross for our sins. And that everyone who accepts that gift, accepts that sacrifice on their behalf, we can receive forgiveness of sins, we can receive eternal life. And so that's the core message. And so we're taking a look at, at this message and some of the other elements of Christianity and why they're so tough to believe. In fact, that's what last week's message was called, is tough to believe. If you missed part one, you feel like a little bit like confused about this whole thing, you can go online, uh, hopeccdelco.com, and you can listen to that message if you'd like to catch up. But basically, we just unpacked that gospel message, that good news, the message of Jesus dying on the cross, raising from the dead. We talked about that a little bit. And so we're going to continue on there uh, from, from, from that point today, um, taking a look at some of, the, some of the questions, some of the objections, some of the reasons why people have such a tough time believing that core message of Christianity. Um, my wife Holly and I, we have three beautiful daughters. Two of them are right there. Hey, girls. Um, we've got, did someone clap for my kids? That's fine. Um, <laughs> yay, I had kids. <laughs> uh, our oldest is six. Uh, so Lily is six, Evie is three, Alana is five months and a few days. Uh, Alana doesn't really cause any trouble because she's too young to. Um, but the older two, sometimes they have their little fights, you know what I mean? The little sibling fights, and they start yelling at each other. I didn't know Evie was going to, she can't hear me. She's not paying attention to me, is she? No, she's not paying attention. Good. Um, but they fight. I mean, kids fight, right? Did you have siblings growing up? You fight with your siblings. That's the kind of stuff happens. Now, early on, see, there's some siblings fighting right now. I'm not going to even bother breaking that up. Early on, when the kids would start fighting, I would break it up, and I was, I was very intentional. I was like, I need to get to the bottom of this fight. What was causing this? Who started what, and then how did the situation evolve or devolve from there? Like, what happened? And so you talk to the one kid, and the one kid says, well, this is what happened. You talk to the other kid, the other kid says, this is what happened. It's like, okay, well, what, what, I'm going to find out the truth. What really happened here? Now, uh, I don't really try to figure it out anymore. <laughs> now, I just assume you're both kind of wrong. Because it's different. Can you ever really know what happened when your kids are, can you ever really know what was the source of this? How did this come to be? Am I ever really going to know the truth? And so I kind of just decided, well, you probably both did something wrong, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? There's a fight for some reason, and I just have kind of made peace with the fact that I don't think I'll ever really, really understand what happened because there's multiple versions of the same event, and according to you, well, you're the victim, and according to you, well, you're the victim, and this was the person that, okay, I don't know which version to believe. Maybe one version of the story is absolutely true. Maybe there are parts of both stories that are true. Maybe they're both absolutely telling the truth, but they just have different perspectives. And so I just feel like I don't know if there's any way I could ever really no, what happened? There are things like this in life where you hear some kind of story and you hear multiple versions. You're like, I don't know. You turn on cable news, right? I don't have cable, so I don't have to worry about watching cable news. Ah, see, there's a little pro tip for you. You don't have cable, you can't watch cable news. But you put on cable news and you watch one channel and you hear about this event and you hear this perspective. You're like, oh, that's why that happened. You turn on the other channel. Oh, same event, very different story. It's like, I don't know. Are we ever going to really know what happened? Can we ever really know? 
And when it comes to issues of faith, when it comes to this whole gospel message, the message of Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, I mean, did this really happen? Is this historically accurate? What did this, what did this accomplish? When it comes to that message, people say, well, can you, you know, that's, a, that's, that's a nice story, but it's only one story among many. So can you ever really know whether or not that's true? And it's not just the gospel message. It's like just Jesus, the person of Jesus. All right, was this a real person? Was Jesus born? Was he real? Did he really walk the face of the earth? Can you believe anything about the stories about Jesus? Maybe some of them are true. Maybe all of them are true. The rising from the dead thing. The dad really. Can you ever really know the truth about Jesus historically? Can you know? You back that up and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. What about just like what about God? All right, before you start talking about like salvation and afterlife and all those questions about what happened, wait, wait, let's back it up to God. Can you ever really know anything for certain about God? Can you ever really know anything for certain about God? Christians in the room, don't get offended, okay? <laughs> How could you even ask that? I'm asking because it's a real question and it's a valid question. Why is it valid? Because there are many, many ideas about God. And so people take a look and say, whoa, there's like all these different ideas about God, all these different concepts of God, all these different pictures of what God is like. How could you ever really know which one of these is true? Can you ever really, not, not, oh, it's just faith that I just kind of believe. No, 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 no. Can you ever really know? And so that's the question we're looking at today. Can you ever really know anything for certain about God. Let's take a look at the, some of the ideas that exist about God, and there's a whole, like I said, a whole bunch of ideas about God, a lot of ideas about God in this country. Just here in southern Delaware County, I'm just watching other people leave the church service over there, and I'm thinking, there's a whole lot of ideas about God right here in Ridley Park, right here in southern Delaware County, but we're trying to put all these different ideas about God into three broad categories, okay? Three broad categories. First broad category is the category, the perspective of the atheist, okay? And so that's one basic, pretty simple concept of God that's out there. And the concept is that there is no, right? The concept, one concept of God, one perspective of God is the, is the atheist perspective, which says, well, there isn't one, right? I'm always afraid when I say there isn't a God that someone's going to take this audio and kind of slip it together and make, the pastor says it. No, I'm not saying, that's the atheist perspective is that there isn't one, okay? And so just to clarify, and I said that's kind of a simple perspective, just to clarify, I'm not saying that the atheist perspective is to say, okay, the Christian God, the God of the Bible, that's not real. A true atheist perspective is to say there's no, there's no creator, there's no supreme being. Everybody's got it wrong. Any idea that, of God that exists out there is just false. It, it isn't. There's no creator. There's nothing. And you're here because there was a, some kind of a big bang, and there was matter, and there was antimatter, and they collided, and then all this kind of stuff happened, and there was some kind of life, and then it evolved, and then that led to you. That's, that's my understanding of the Big Bang Theory and the theory of evolution. So, you know, that's my simple understanding of that. Um, but, that's, but that's the idea. There is no. There is no God. Now, if you're an atheist and you're here today, if you're listening online or whatnot, listen, I don't want to offend you. You know, I get that you have your reasons, but I'm just trying to share, like, my personal belief system and how I wrestle with that. It's like, I have a tough time appreciating the perspective of an atheist. And it really doesn't have anything to do with faith. It has to do with logic, okay? I have a difficult time appreciating the perspective of an atheist because I think, how could you be absolutely certain? How could you be absolutely sure that there is no creator? How can you be absolutely certain that there is no supreme being? It's like, it just, it's, it's like how arguments work and how logic works and like how the burden of proof works, and I don't think it's really possible to prove the non-existence of anything, is it? I mean, in a confined space, we could look around this room and say, okay, we can prove that there's not an elephant in this room, literally. We can prove that, 
But overall, that doesn't prove that there's no such thing as elephants, right? You know what I'm saying? And so as far as like the, how the burden of proof works in, in an argument and going back and forth, it's like how can you really be, how could someone be absolutely certain that there is no God? And you say, well, we've come up with these answers that explain God away, and we can figure out how the world started without God. It's like, okay, well, you've come up with answers, but that doesn't, how does that equal that there is, how can you be sure? See, that's where, I, that's just my personal struggle with the perspective of an atheist is how can you prove the non-existence of anything? How can you prove the non-existence of God? And so I struggle with that. Then there's another perspective. So that's the first category, like the atheist, atheistic perspective. Then there's another category, and you call that the agnostic perspective about God. Okay, and I'm going to combine like the agnostic with like the theist perspective, which I know they're two different terms and they mean different things. I know that, so don't come up to me afterwards and say I used the terms wrong. Don't be that guy. I know. I'm just trying to give these broad generalizations of these different perspectives. And so the agnostic perspective is basically to say, okay, sure, maybe. Maybe there's some kind of God, some kind of supreme being, some kind of creative element, some kind of creative force, sure. But how could we ever know what this supreme being is like? How could we ever know? I mean, with all the different religions out there, they're probably all wrong or maybe they're all a little bit right. But how could you really know for sure? So yes, yes, okay. I'll acknowledge there's probably some kind of creator. Yes, yes, that could be. But could it, how could we know anything about him? I mean, God is so vast and complex. If there is some kind of God, if there is some, he's so big, and how could we possibly understand him? Now, that perspective about God, I can appreciate that. I can appreciate that. In fact, I've got some overlap. So if you're here today and you're agnostic, or if you're listening online and you're agnostic, I get that. I appreciate that perspective, and I have some common ground with the agnostic perspective. I believe that God is vast, complex, mysterious, Right? And I believe that no matter how hard you try and study God and try to understand God, that there's always going to be that element of mystery when it comes to God. I mean, you can read all the religious texts and you can pray. There's always going to be because God is so big and we're just not. He is infinite and we are finite. And so I know there are lots of Christians that believe that one day we'll go to heaven and when we get to heaven we meet God and then we'll, then we'll get God. Then we'll understand him. I'm not, maybe, yeah. I'm not sure about that. I feel like once we get there, we're still going to be learning more and more and more about God because God is so vast, so complicated, so awesome that there's always going to be more to learn. And so that's where I've got some common ground with that agnostic perspective, okay? And I get that. And there's something that's very logical, and I appreciate that, very logical about the agnostic perspective. That is to say, listen, how could any one of these, and look at all these different religions, different philosophies, different ideas about God, and there are multiple gods, and there's one God. Like, look at all these different ideas. How could anybody be right? So I'm just going to stand back here and say, okay, there may be a God, but it's not for me to say which one of you is right and who is wrong. I'm just going to stand back here. I appreciate the logic of that. However, there gets to be a certain point. And I'm sorry, agnostics, I don't mean to offend you. I'm just sharing. You know, we can have, we can have some conversation. I'm just sharing my beliefs. I'm sharing where I can see from your perspective and where I struggle with it. However, there gets to be a point with agnosticism where it's like, wait a minute, are, is it really logic that's keeping you away? from trying to explore God? Or are you kind of hiding behind that agnosticism? Let me try and describe this, okay? <laughs> this is a tough point I'm trying to make. Um, let me tell you a story. Several years ago, a long time ago, I worked for this company. It was a bigger company. And I worked with this, uh, this woman, and she was, um, she was in the stage of life where she had adult children. I don't know exactly how old she was. Um, but she got sick, okay? So this adult woman, she got sick. And the, the symptoms were minor at first, okay? It's the cough and I had to take a day off work. I had to leave early, things like that. But the symptoms got worse. Now, this woman happened to be a lifelong smoker. As you know, smoking is detrimental to your health. And so as soon as these symptoms started, you know, her friends, her coworkers, her family members said, you've got to get yourself to a doctor right now. 
don't put it off. She said, no, I'm fine. Don't worry about it. No, I'm fine. It's just a cold. It'll pass. And the symptoms got worse and worse. And she said, no, I'm not going to a doctor. It's all right. It's no big deal. And she refused and she refused and she refused and she refused until she got so sick that she had to be taken to the hospital. And it was what everyone feared. It was lung cancer. It was lung cancer. And they got her to the hospital. And it was too late to do anything. And she died. So that's not just a cautionary tale. What I'm saying is there was an answer out there. This woman was sick, and there was a question of what's causing this sickness. There was an answer out there, and she just did not want that answer. She was afraid of the answer. Can you appreciate that? I mean, this woman's story, wouldn't you be afraid? <laughs> wouldn't you be afraid to find out it's lung cancer? Wouldn't you be afraid? So she was afraid of that. And so sometimes, when I go back to agnosticism, how, you know, how are these things connected? When it comes to agnosticism, sometimes I think people are just afraid. The answer is out there. It's like maybe, maybe you're kind of hiding behind this logic. Maybe you're just afraid to do this work of discovering. I don't know many agnostics. I don't know that many people, really. <laughs> I don't know that many people. But the ones that I do know, it's not like they've taken the time to look into it. It's not like they've taken the time to research. It's not like they've researched. I'm going to research all the different ideas about God, and I'm going to come to a conclusion. It's not like they've done that. They just said, well, I know that there are a lot of ideas out there, and I'm not going to research them because I'm just not. And so it's almost like you're afraid. There is an answer, but you're afraid to seek for it. Okay? And I apologize if I've offended you. I, that's not what I mean. I'm just trying to share my perspective. And so, again, these broad categories, these different ideas we have got about God, these thoughts we have about God, okay, there isn't one. That's one idea. There is one, but we can't know him. That's another idea. And then here's a very, very big, big category here of people who believe, yes, there is a God, and it's this God, right? Yes, there is a God, and it's this God, Right? And so Christians would fall into that category. Jews would fall into that category. Muslims would fall into that category. Uh, people who sub uh, subscribe to Hinduism, they would say, well, it's not one God, it's multiple gods. But yes, there is such a thing. You can know this God, and this is the one, right? And so this is the category of people who believe that there is a God, and it's a specific God that can be known. So the question still hangs out there. Okay, you've got these different ideas, these different categories. Is it possible... <laughs> Is it possible to ever really know for sure anything about God? Is it possible? Get ready for a big shocker today. You ready? <laughs> I'm going to give you the answer. <laughs> I believe it is possible to know for sure. Okay? You're not surprised by that. What did you expect the pastor to say? Come on. I believe that it is possible to know for sure that there is a God and know what he is like. I believe that. Here's why. Here, I'm trying to ignore my daughter crying. Well, <laughs> sorry. That sounds terrible. I'm trying to ignore my daughter crying. I do believe it is possible to know God, and here's why. It's based on another belief that I have. I believe God has a desire to be known. I believe that God has a desire to be known. And so you go back to that agnostic way of thinking that there's a God, how could we possibly know him? I appreciate that perspective, but where I differ from agnostics is I say, well, yes, but I believe God wants to be known. If he did not want to be known, we wouldn't know him. If he wanted to remain the shadowy figure and out of this, you know, we wouldn't know him. But I believe God wants to be known. Well, why do I believe that, right? That logical question, why would I believe that? Well, I believe it because... The Bible says so. <laughs> well, that's not fair to give that as an answer, is it? It isn't. That's not fair. I believe that God wants to be known. I believe that based on what the Bible says. Well, why would you believe the Bible? That's the next logical question, right? 
Why would you believe the Bible's account of history? Why would you believe what the Bible has to say about God? I mean, that's not the only book out there. The Bible's not the only one, right? Why would I believe this instead of another book? And so I know today we're talking about God and not the Bible, but i got to talk about the Bible real quick and why I believe that the Bible is a reliable source of information. This is it, okay? I know this is like, this is your little bonus sermon for the day, okay? We're supposed to talk about the Bible, but we have to. We have to talk about the Bible so I can show you why I believe that God wants to be known. The Bible. This book. It's not just one book, is it? This is a collection of 66 books written over a period of time about... 1,600 years, give or take, maybe 1,500, maybe closer to 1,800 years. So we've got 66 different books written over a span of about 1,600 years. There are 40 different authors, and yet somehow it tells one story about one God on one mission. Okay? And so I'm not making a big case for Scripture here today. That's not what this is about. But let me make my mini case for it. That was the, the thing that convinced me that this is legit, that this is what it claims to be. Because my question, when I take a look at, wait, 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 wait. Th- that many years? 1,600 years, 40 different authors, 66 different books. Who could have faked that? And why? You're talking about, you know, I mean, you could try to come up with theories. Yes, you can answer those questions with theories. Well, it could have been some, you know, kind of conspiracy, some kind of conglomerate who's been trying to manipulate things for the past, you know, human history. But, but, but realistically, who could have faked that? How? But more importantly, why would somebody fake this? Now, again, you can, I, I, I'm just, I can't answer those questions. I can't answer those questions. And so for me, I'm convinced that this book is the real deal. A lot of Christians go around saying, well, this is the word of God. Well, what do you mean by that? What I mean when I say that is this is a reliable source of information. Hang on, back up. This is the only reliable source of information about God, about eternal life, about Jesus, and the history recorded in this book is accurate 100%. That's what I believe, okay? And I've made my mini case for why I believe that. And so, as far as, well, what is this book? And that's the other question, well, what is this? This is some religious text. This isn't some religious text, okay? Some people think of this as, well, this is like your instruction manual for how to go about life. Well, sure, there are plenty of instructions in there. But this, I believe that this book, this is God saying to us, here I am. This is what I'm like. Get to know me. This is God revealing himself to us. There are four, I guess you could say, four major ways that God reveals himself to us. One is through his creation. You look around at the creation, the complexity of space, the complexity of this earth, the complexity of the planet, the organization, the structure. We say, wow, the creator must be huge and intelligent and massive. Like, wow. So the, the creator reveals himself in that way. He reveals himself through the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus came into this earth. He incarnated everything that God is. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So he reveals to himself in the the form of the suffering servant. God reveals himself to us through prayer. When we pray, yes, we can have that. Sometimes that can be tough to discern. Am I hearing from God what's going on there? But he reveals himself to us through prayer. But the number one way that we have to know God is through this book. He said, I've put my heart in here. This is who I am. This is what I care about. Get to know me. And so when we go to this book seeking for God, I believe that we will find him. Take a look at the scripture passage that's in your bulletin. 
This is one of these passages that I, you know, I believe it speaks to the fact that God wants to be known. It's from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29. Now, Jeremiah was a prophet. He was a prophet to the nation of Judah. And there was this, you know, you read about the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, and you read about the tumultuous relationship that they had with God. In fact, that name Israel means wrestles with God. What an appropriate name for that nation. And so you read about what happened at a certain point in their history. The nation split into two different kingdoms. You had Israel, they kept the name, and then the, the kingdom of Judah. And so Jeremiah was a prophet, and a prophet is somebody, God speaks to this man, and then he went and shared. He's like, well, this is what God told me. And he went and shared it with other people, okay? And so Jeremiah, he received all this information from God, and God told Jeremiah, there's going to be a day, not, not too long from now, there's going to be a day where you, the nation, you are going to be held captive, you're going to be taken out of your home, you're going to be destroyed. There's no longer going to be a Judah. It's happening. In fact, about 10 years after Jeremiah wrote this book, it did happen. And so God told Jeremiah, this is what's going to happen. He gave him these prophecies, and he said, but, but don't worry, there's going to be a way back. And so the verses, sometimes we Christians, we take these verses and we make them about us, and yeah, they're a little bit about us, but, but in context, this is God talking about the nation of Israel, and he says about them, but I know the plans that I have for you. And so he's just told Jeremiah, all this stuff's going to happen. You're going to be taken away. It's going to be tough. You're going to be ripped out of your homeland. But I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, and they're good. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then, then you will call on me, come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. So he's talking about a time in the future where the Israelites, the people who were the part of the nation of Judah, the people who were part of the nation of Israel, they'll be one again, and they're going to go back, and they're going to be living in this cap- captivity, and they're going to say, wait a minute, what about God? Wait a minute, what about those stories that Grandpa used to tell about God and what he did for our people once upon a time? They're going to go back and remember God, and they're going to start seeking for him. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, can you ever really know anything for certain about God. Yes, if you seek him, if you, if you seek after him, but it's, it's more complicated than just seeking, okay? It's not just like, okay, I've got a question, I'm going to seek an answer, you know, trying to find out something. I'm going to go on Google and get an answer to my question or whatever it is. What time is my favorite show? Come on, Google search, look at TV guys. Anybody have TV guys? Does that exist anymore? Like there are e- sometimes you seek and seeking is easy, right? See, thanks to Google, seeking is very easy, but not that, it's not that way. What does it say? Well, you will seek me, and you will find me when you seek for me with, with your whole heart. That's different. And so the simple version of today's message could just be, yeah, there is a God, just go seek for him. Let's close in prayer. But it's more complicated than that. Okay, I'm not going to lie to you. It's more complicated than that. There's something required. Before we can earnestly start to seek after God and who he really is, there's something that's, that's required beforehand. I want to take a look at a verse of scripture from 2 Chronicles, and I think that this is the first time we've ever looked at that book of the Bible in our five-year history. So who's writing this stuff down? Who's our historian? Right? Okay. Thank you. And so again, if you go back to the book of 2 you don't have to, you can turn there if you want to. It's right after 1 Chronicles, um, if you're looking for it. But it's the book of 2 Chronicles in the Old Testament. And so um, this is God. And he's talking to the people about what will happen. And again, he's telling them about the, the, what's going to happen in the future. You're going to have this rocky situation. The book of uh, Second Chronicles is not a book of prophecy. It's a book of history. But in the history, they record some prophecy. It gets complicated. Anyway, Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people, okay, this is God talking. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, 
themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin. The kind of seeking, if, if you want to know the truth about God and who he is, the kind of seeking, it needs to be sincere and it needs to start with humility. What it needs to start with is to let go of your pride. Say, okay, I'm going to humbly and sincerely seek after the truth about God. Even if that means some of my preconceived notions are going to be disproved, I'm going to humbly seek after God. Let me talk about humility a little bit and what that looks like. Because first off, here's the point in the message where all the Christians say, you know what, I know God already. I've been humble, I sought after him, and now I know him. So you must be talking to all the people who aren't Christians, right? Because all the people who aren't Christians, they need to humble themselves so they can find my God that I've already found. Well, it's not like you're entirely wrong. Okay, if you're thinking that. But this is for everybody. If you're here today and if you're a Christian, it's like, yeah, I know God and I perceive salvation in Jesus Christ. Listen, if you want to get to know him better, you need to humble yourself and seek after him. Humility means being able to say, there might be some things in my thinking about God or about church or about what it means to be the church or even about this gospel message. There may be some things in my personal theology that are wrong. Can you say that? I might be wrong about, yeah, I've been doing this Christian thing for a while, but I might be wrong about some things. Humility is that. But humility is more than just willing that I might be wrong. Humility is also being able to, to be vulnerable. I mean, vulnerable. Who wants to be vulnerable? I was going to say, man, that's really tough for us to be vulnerable. Like women love being vulnerable, right? We don't like being vulnerable. But to lay your beliefs on the table and say, I don't know, I might be wrong. I don't know. I've been doing this Christian thing for a while, and I feel like I should have it down by now, but I don't know. To be vulnerable, to be willing to admit that you might be wrong and you're thinking to seek after the truth of who God really is and where do you do your seeking, you do it in this book. And yeah, you can do things like this. You can show up on a Sunday morning. You can politely listen as I talk at you. You can go to a small group and you should and that's good. But there's a certain point where you've got to dig into this book for yourself. God says, here, this is who I am. Seek after me in here. And so we can seek after him, but it requires that humility. I want you to think about your personal faith journey your personal understanding of who God is and what's important to him. Has that changed at all in the past year? Has it changed? Have you grown? Has it changed at all in the past five years? Or have you hit one of those plateaus? Sometimes we Christians, we can hit these plateaus in the way we understand God and the way we think about God. And those, those plateaus, we can, well, no, I've got it figured out. I've got it figured out. I've got it figured out. We can just stay stale, stay kind of stagnant right there. That can happen to us. I mean, it's, hap- it's certainly happened to me. And sometimes that happens because we Christians, like, we have, uh, let me just give you my personal experience. There was a time about eight years ago where I had this big epiphany about God, what I would describe as a big epiphany. And I felt like, whoa, I get it now. I get God. I get what the church was always supposed to be. I get Jesus and what he did for us. Woo, I get it. I finally get it. I need to take a break from, I don't want to read anything else right now. Don't give me any more books. I just need to hang, I need to, whoo, I need a breath. I need to camp out here for a little bit. I'm not climbing up the mountain. I need to camp out here and just kind of deal with what I've just discovered. But that can easily slip into something prideful, can't it? It can go from I'm taking a break to I don't want to read anymore to don't try and teach. I don't need to listen to any more sermons. I don't need to go online. I don't need to read your books. I'm just, I already, I've got it already. The pride plateau right? The Pride Plateau. It's just across the valley from Pride Rock, you know? 
It's a wonderful place to spend a vacation. No, it's not. Pride Plateau, we can do that. It's not at all. The Pride Plateau is a place that we can very innocently enter into where we stop humbling ourselves, where we stop seeking after God. Let me give you a heads up to those of you who, you know, I was going to say to those of you who are new to Christianity. It doesn't matter if you're new or not. Let me just let you know how it is, Christians. You're not going to arrive at the top of the mountain. You keep climbing, you keep seeking, you keep seeking, you keep seeking, you keep seeking. You, keep, you never get done seeking. Not on this side of heaven. Keep climbing. But it starts with humility. And so I feel like every Sunday I come up here and I give you some, I plead with you about something. And so what I'm pleading, it doesn't matter what your thoughts are about God. If you're a Christian, awesome. If you're not, if you're agnostic, if you're atheist, all I'm saying is if you would just humble yourself and seek after God, you would find him. You would find the truth about him. And there's this thing that's happened. And some of you, a lot of you in this room could testify to this or testify to such a church word. You could say, yes, this has happened to me. There's this thing that when you start seeking God, it's like it's, it becomes more than just what the Bible says. It becomes more than just, it's like a transformation of your life, right? It transforms who you are because you begin to find your identity and who God is. Whoa, that's big. And so all of us, whether you're a Christian or not, we need to do this thing. And listen, this is, and I kind of say this as a cautionary tale. Yeah, we're about five years old as a church. Well, we could, as a church, we would just plateau. We'll stop. We, we got it, right? We got like a worship band. We got like ministries. We got like a stuff. It's good, right? Let's stop. No. We need to keep humbling ourselves before God. What is it we're not quite right about? What is it we need to discover? How can we meet you in a new way today, God? Whoa. I know some of you Christians, you read your Bible on a regular basis almost every day. That's great. How about before the next time you read, you say, God, I want to meet you in a new way today. I want to discover something new about you today. And then you start reading. How about that? And so let's do this thing together. Let's humble ourselves and seek after God because the promise of Scripture is that when we seek Him, we will find Him. And we will be able to really know for sure who God is and what's important to him. Let's pray. Father God, we, we freely confess that we are limited, we are finite, um, we struggle, we, we have pride issues, we, um, we have discipline issues, and, and we do want to know you. There are people in this room, God, you know, we want to know you better. But for some of us, and, and I'll just confess this myself, for some of us, we, we arrive at these plateaus and we just need you to, to shake us out of that place spiritually, God. Allow us to do the hard work of being vulnerable before you, of being humble before you, and, and allow us to be open to seeking after you in a true way with all of our hearts. Father God, we, we want to be a people who know you. We want to be a people who accurately represent who you are in this community. And so, Father God, as we seek after you, I ask that you please be true to your word and reveal yourself to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.